Okay, I'm recording it. Yes. So is somebody else recording? No, I mean no. I'm talking about. That's what it's there. Oh, that's it. Great. So, what? Look how small this is. Well, if it gets smaller, I mean, it'll really be. You won't be able to find it anymore. To turn it on. Okay, I'd like to uh, make a comment about the state of Svirata Omer. As you know, Svirata Omer is a time of the year that Minage uh, Avelut were imposed upon. And that, except for the day of Lagba Omer, which is coming up this Sunday, I believe. At least it's this Sunday in Yerushalayim. Maybe also in London. Lagba Omer, in some odd way, is a day of joy and happiness. And in order to understand, in order to understand the profundity of the issue, we have to uh, kind of learn a little, remind ourselves a little bit about Svirata Omer. The Torah does not tell us why you have to count. But the understanding of Chazal was that a Svartim Lachem means every single one of us. Okay, men and not women, but women could also count Svirata Omer as with other mitzvot of that time that are time-bound. I guess Svirata Omer is a time-bound mitzvah, whatever that, whatever that means. Um, everybody has to count. Why does everybody have to count? I mean, what difference does it make if only the Beit Din counts, for example? Or some other institution, you know, in Eretz Yisrael, when you open the news at 6 o'clock in the morning, they tell you what day of the Omer it is. So I guess it means that if you forgot to count the night before, at 6 a.m. you are reminded that you have to count. And they also tell you what the exact count is. Yamim and Shavuot. They count the Omer in a proper manner. So that should be enough. After all, counting Surat Omer is to get me from A to B. Sort of to make sure that we all know it's Shavuot. So why do I have to count? Now we know that other countings that are determined by the Torah, we don't count. For example, counting the days or the years to the Yovel, to Yovel, right? Once every 50 years. So the Beit Din, they have to know the count. They have to, you have to be asked a Dayan and the Bezden, how are we doing? He has to say 36. But it's not true that everybody has to count. It's only true that uh, you have to know at the end of 49 years that the end of 49 years has come. And so the Beit Din, they make an announcement about it. Announcement is good. It's also true when women count Zion Nikiyim. You don't have to count every day. You just have to know how many days it is. It's only Svirata Omer where everybody has to count. And I have to know what the number of the day is today. And there doesn't seem to be a particular purpose to that. Because the Torah says that 
you bring a korban at the beginning of Surat Omer, and you bring another korban at the end of Surat Omer, and that's really what happens. Nothing happens in between. Nothing happens when you count the Omer. So why is it that we insist on counting on counting the Omer? Now, on this period of time of counting the Omer, which connects us between Pesach and Shavuot, one would imagine, one would imagine that this would be a happy time. I mean, Pesach is a Moed, and Shavuot is also a Moed. So wouldn't you think that, like, the time in between should be a happy time? And this is not an idea that I bring to the table because everybody knows that the Ramban in his parish on the Torah in the parish of Emor, this week is Emor, right? Even in London as well. This week is Emor. The Ramban in his commentary at Emor said, wow, it's like Cholomoid. What's like Cholomoid? The period of time from Pesach counting until Shavuot is like Cholomoid. So I agree. Cholomoid is a little difficult to categorize, but you know it's like more like Yontif than it is like Chol. Maybe not in London. But if you come to Yerushalayim, you would note that nobody seems to ever work on Cholomoid. Now that's one of the prime signs of a Moed, a happy time. Whoever heard of working at a happy time? So the Ramban is the one, he wasn't alone, but he's the one who's printed in the Mikraot Gedolot, and the Ramban said that the time from A to B is a happy time. It's Chol HaMoed. What happened? How did Avelut, how did this unhappiness of Yemei Sfira come into the world? Where did it come from? So the Shulchan Aruch, if you look at the sheet, the Shulchan Aruch says, Tav Tzadi Gimel Seif Aleph Noagim, Right, certainly, everybody who's not yet married thinks that getting married is a joyous thing, right? Uh, afterwards, the, the jury is not yet in. But before you get married, you're certainly happy about it. The Shalom says, don't get married. Now, what do you mean, where did that come from? Can you imagine that? Now, what does that mean, Neitu Talmidei Rabbi Akiva? So you looked at the third, at the third sort of section on the sheet. It says, Amru, Shneim Asar Elef Zugim Talmidim Hayulo Rabbi Akiva. It's a fantastic number. 12,000 times 2. That's 24,000. Talmidim Ayula Rabbi Akiva, Migvat Vad Antipras. I don't know where that is. Vikulam Meitu Beperek Echad Bepnesha Lonagu Kavod Zelazeh. They all died. Because Shalonahagu Kavod Zebazeh will give it the kind of Balabatasha interpretation. They were not nice to each other. Why? What were they not nice about? What was it that they did that was so terrible that people are not nice to each other all the time? What did they do that was so terrible that caused their demise? So Rabbi Akiva is credited with, uh, I guess, doing a bad job the first time around. He had 24,000 students, but look at the mess that they made. They, they weren't nice to each other. So Rabbi Akiva passed the Torah down to these 24,000 students, and they all died. And so Torah was in jeopardy, because that's the thing. You have to pass the Torah down, right? That's how Pirkei Avot starts. That's our obligation. That's the midst of Talmud Torah. It's all about passing the Torah down to the next generation. So Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva failed. He, he, he passed the Torah down, but, but they were terrible people. So they all died. They all died. And then Rabbi Akiva went and he had Talmidim. Another set, not 24,000, they're not mentioned, but uh, famous, famous Tanaim. 
And one of them, of course, is Rabbi Shimon. Perhaps the greatest of them is Rabbi Shimon, who, of course, is Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, the most famous student of Rabbi Akiva. So you have a story behind the story. The number 24,000 is not the most significant part of the story, to my mind. I don't know how many there were exactly. But it's the story of Rabbi Akiva's lack of success, followed by Rabbi Akiva's tremendous success. And that's the way the Gemara looks upon him. This Gemara in, uh, in Yevamot. The Meiri there, if you look at the next... The, next, uh, the Meiri says about this Gemara, the Meiri wrote a commentary on Shas, and this is what he says. Amru Rabbi Akiva Shishtemas or El Zugot you lo Amru Al Rabbi Akiva. You think maybe that means he suspects that it may not be a precise number. I mean, you know, usually people don't say that, but I think that that's what that's what the Meiri meant. May to bepar kechadash lo nagu kavod zela ze vayah olam shamem below Torah sheba lo etzer rabotenu sheba darom v'shanalahem. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Lozabet, Shemua, Vehem Hem, Hemidu et Asha'ah. Vetalmidim elu huzkar kan, shekulam metu mi Pesach vaad atzeret. So they all died between Pesach and Atzeret, the period of Sirat Omer. That's when they died. Now listen to the Meiri. The Miri says Kabbalah biyad hagaonim. When you say Kabbalah, when the Miri who lived in Provence, who was a Rishon, he says Kabbalah biyad hagaonim. The gaonim were the Roshe yeshiva of the yeshivot in Babel. When he says Kabbalah biyad hagaonim, he means uh, that he doesn't have a clue about where that comes from. He only knows that it's authoritative. It came from the Gaonim. What did the Gaonim say? So there it is. Everything that we do comes from the Meiri. And the Meiri said, the Meiri said that the Gaonim have taught us that all of this dying that the, that the, that the uh, students of Rabbi Akiva did, all of that took place until took place until Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer, they stopped dying. What it meant, I mean, we don't know exactly. Does it mean that no one died on Lagba Omer? Or they died until Lagba Omer and didn't die after Lagba Omer? So that's like a secondary halachic issue that is kind of an issue uh, between the Mechaber and the and the Ramah. So we'll look at the Seif Bet. Look, go back to the first, to the first source. Seif Bet. You see Seif Aleph, Seif Bet. Nohagim shelolis taper adlag ba'omer. So the Mechaber says, you're not allowed to take a haircut. He's talking to men who take haircuts more often than women, although I'm not sure that this is still true today. But uh, in those days it was true that, that men should not Cut their hair until Lagba Omer. Sheomrim sheaz pasku milamut. Like the Mechaber says, I heard, I heard. That's what they say. Who says it? According to the Meiri, the Gaonim. Where do they say it? Okay, you could find it. You know, with a little effort. If you made a little effort, you could find where the Gaonim actually said what the Meiri said that they said. But it's still the Gaonim, right? You know that. That there are Tanoim and Emoroim and Saboroim and Gaonim. So the Gaonim are much later than the story in the Gemara. The story in the Gemara says that the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva died. But it doesn't say that you're not allowed to take a haircut during Yemei Svirata Omer. This is something that kind of came into the world at a much later date. But the Mechaber says, Ainli Staper Yom Yud Lavet Dalet Baboker. So the Mechaber Paskins, the Mechaber Paskins, again, these are things that are, I think, I think they're well known, that according to the Mechaber, that means 
the psak of the Svaradim today. Right, they dealt the Mizrach. Not the Svaradim who are Hasidim. Not Nusach Svarad, but like the real McCoy. You know, people who come from, from the Eastern countries who depend for their psak on the Mechaber, Rabbi Yosef Karo. So they don't take a haircut until and including Lagba Omer. They only will take a haircut on Lama Dalit. Lama Dalit Ba'omer. The Rabbah says, Hago, you see where it says Hago, where we stopped reading? Hago? Bibidinot Elu. This is the Ramah. The Ramah always, like the Mechaber, is much more devoted to what he sees as being a kind of a, a pure halachic position. And he doesn't generally include Minhagim. He wouldn't say, oh, here in, uh, in Tzvat, the Minhag is this, or the Minhag is that. The Ramah does that all the time. The Ramah was very much concerned that the Minhagim, that existed in uh, Poland and in Germany and in Russia should be um, should not be torn asunder and, and sort of put away. So the Ramos says, says, Here in, let's say, Poland, right? The Ramos is in Krakow. So uh, he says, here in Poland, we don't do what, what the Mechaber said. We do something else. What do we do? Mr. Primbi, Yom Lamid Gimel, Umarbimbo ktsat simcha. We we uh, uh, we take a haircut on Lamid Gimel. That's what we do today, right? We take a haircut on Lamid Gimel. Umarbimbo ktsat simcha. What's the ktsat simcha that we do today? We have weddings. Weddings is a good. That's a good simcha kind of uh, of an option. You have a wedding. I don't know how many of you like are overjoyed about not saying Tachanon, but it's you know for many people I think a relief. You know you don't say Tachanon on Lag Baomer because you don't say Tachanon on uh, happy days. Of course you know that uh, that in Eretz Yisrael me Yerushalayim. I know what did you do? Uh, what do you do erev Lag Baomer in England usually? What do you do Mincha before Lag Baomer? You say Tachno, don't you say Tachno? <laughs> it's, it's like a Shiloh for a Gabai. You need a Gabai who's really into it. No? Do you say Tachno, Erev, Lagba, Omer? You don't say Tachno, on Lagba, Omer. So it's a Bachlogis. It's a Bachlogis, of course, you know, in, in Yerushalayim, uh, the old timers. Don't say Tachlun Erev Lagba Omer in Mincha, but don't say Tachlun on Lagba Omer. So that's what the Ramot says. You don't say Tachlun on Lagba Omer. But you should only take a haircut on Lagba Omer. That's what the Ramot says, but not Be'erev. But if Lagba Omer is Sunday, I remind you that that's the case this year. So the Ramot says, no, I give list up every So the meaning is that how could you? How could it be that we'll take a haircut for Lag Baomer? We'll take a haircut for Shabbos, which Shabbos comes right before Lag Baomer. So this year, this year you can take a haircut on Friday, Lichvod Shabbos, and this he quotes from the Maharil, right? Umishu valbris omal beno mutar listaper b'svira lichvod hamila. That's another halacha. So you have this, somehow, somehow there's Avelut and there's Lagba Omer. Avelut Lagba Omer. As far as Lagba Omer is concerned, there's a tremendous question that's asked in the postscript. I would ask it, like in my own name, but it's already been asked by people who are far greater than I, so I'll tell you who that is. So if you look at the sheet, See where it says in the second in the second group there it says Sefer Pri Chadash Alor Chaim. Pri Chadash wrote a commentary on uh, on the Shulchan Aruch. He wrote a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. His name was De Silva. Chaim Chizkia De Silva. So you know from his name that he did not come from Poland. He came from someplace else, right? And the the truth is that there were smart Jews throughout the the, the ages in a lot of different places. They didn't all come from Vilna. Uh, not that Vilna has to be embarrassed. 
Vilna also produced a lot of smart Jews. But there were smart Jews elsewhere. So the Silver wrote a, a commentary on the Shulchan called the Pri Chadash, which is very highly regarded and is, uh, is always quoted by Poskim. You can't ignore the Pri Chadash. So the Pri Chadash, this is what he says, He says, we, the Svardim, right, we made a Pshara. We have a good time on Lag Ba'omer, but we don't take a haircut till Lamedalad Ba'omer, right? It was he, the silver, was with the Mechaber. The Mechaber said, it ends on Lag Ba'omer, right? This period of time when the Zavelut ends on Lag Ba'omer. The Ramor came along and said, no, no, Lag Ba'omer, but he's getting married, you have a good time. What does the Prichadash say? Well, we're also going to have a good time on Lag Ba'omer. doesn't say why. We have a good time on Lag Ba'omer, but we're not going to take a haircut until Amidalad Ba'omer. And this sort of became the, uh, the Svardik Minhag. Like you get married after, in the afternoon on Lag Ba'omer, so that's okay. And then you take a haircut on Amidalad Ba'omer, that's maybe not so good. But anyway, that's, that's what he says. So he, he goes on, he says, this is what we do. Now this is like a yeshiva language. He says, how can you do that? How can you have a good time at Lag Bomer? At the same time, say, you can't take a haircut at Lag Bomer. Because those are two contrary things. The whole thing, the reason that you don't take a haircut is because you're in Avelut. So if you're having a good time and going to weddings and jumping up and down, so you're not in Avelut. So in Moroshach. If you're not in Avilut, take a haircut. If you are in Avilut, don't have a wedding. That's what he doesn't understand. The Prichadash doesn't understand uh, that. The Fikach, Mishan Agas, well, it's the paper lag, ain biyado. So he says, it's a psak. This is, this is the Prichadash saying, if you see a Svaradi who went to the barber and took a haircut, so you don't have to stand there and, 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 and with picket him with signs and say, oh, he took a haircut, we're not going to give him an aliyah. You don't have to do that. Because there's a, like sufficient confusion here to allow anybody to get away with it. That's what the Prichadash says. But all of this is an introduction to what we're about to read now in the Prichadash. Just to get the place, the Prichadash says, Mihu. The Prichadash says, where does this joyous day come from? This joyous day called, the joyous day that we call, Lag Ba'omer. What's joyous about it? He says, If you'll tell me that they stopped dying on Lag Ba'omer, as the Me'iri said, in the name of the Ga'onim, and I told you that you could find that Ga'onim, that uh, Shita, in a book someplace, right? Even though the Miri doesn't tell us where it is, but we know where it is. There is such a Shita that we have. Not that I don't believe, the, I believe the Miri, but I was just saying we could actually locate it. So, but the Prichadash, he says, Mabikach, so what if they stop dying? Could you imagine? imagine what happened 24,000 Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva or some number some big number died and then they stopped dying on Lag moment. so they were, you think the proper response is to have a party I mean they just died they, they, they just died so okay you would say if I have to do a mitzvah that's something to do with Simcha so I'll do the mitzvah of Simcha but what's all this business running around the Lag moment like, like it's a holiday you know in, in Eretz Israel kids don't go to school Lag moment. you know that it's not a bank holiday. It's Lag Ba'omer. And even kids who don't know anything about the Torah, they know that Lag Ba'omer is a day off. I mean, it's a day of great joy. So the Prichadash doesn't understand. If we were in a situation with 24,000 students, Rachman al-Itzlan of Rabbi Akiva died, and we were there, and we found out that they stopped dying on a certain day, okay, we wouldn't have Avelut anymore. But that's a reason to be happy? I mean, what are we happy about? I mean, they died. So that should, you know, the unhappiness should linger. It's almost as though 
It's almost as though that I have a kind of, I've been commanded to drive out the unhappiness by Lagba Omer. What am I driving out? What am I happy about? What happened? That makes me, that makes me so happy. That's the question of the Prichadash. Vilama, Simchazo Lama, Imishum Shapasku Milamut Mabakach, Hare Lonish Ar Echad Mehem. He says, What happened? So, what, so what if they stopped dying? But they were all dead. I mean, that's why they stopped dying, isn't it? There were 24,000 Talmudim. They all died. So after they all died, they didn't die anymore. This is Rikhadash, this is that's something to be happy about. I mean, can you imagine it's a kind of a holocaust of Torah. So the holocaust of Torah ended. All right, so now I'm happy. What's to be happy about? I mean, it was a, it was a tremendous tragedy. You could, uh, you could ask. I mean, after all, tragedies, you don't always, like, was it a national tragedy? Was it an individual tragedy? I mean, you could, you could talk about that. But it's not a cause for simcha. Lo means what generates this simcha? What joyous occasion are we connecting ourselves to? You, you don't have to you don't have to go to a wedding a lot, Omer. Just go to go to Eretz Israel. I mean you couldn't do this in, in England unless you were a Muslim. If you were a Muslim, you could make fires all over the city, any place in the middle of the street, and nobody would say anything. But if you're Jewish, you try to build fires all over the street, you'd be in trouble. But in Eretz Yisrael, as you all know, as you all know, the kids spend weeks preparing for Lagvoma, dragging every straight piece of wood and, and uh, old uh, tires from cars. I hope they're old tires from cars <laughs> and not new tires from cars. And they make these tremendous uh, bonfires, which... I always am very nervous about I don't like it. I don't think that they should do it. But it is a national event. It's a national event. People go to Mehron. You know what they do in Mehron? More fires. All over the place. In fact, the fires in Mehron, they have chazokas. You know what a chazoka is? I have priority. You know that the first match that's thrown into the first fire in Mehron belongs to a particular Rebbe. And no one else could do that. And if anybody else started a fire before him, so his, uh, you know, his team, whatever it is, uh, would take care of that problem somehow. <laughs> so this is, this is, uh, this is uh, Eretz Yisrael. I mean, everybody knows that Lagba Omer is the holiday of Eretz Yisrael. So that the joy of Lagba Omer, the Prichadash says, who was not in Eretz Yisrael at that time, he said, what are we so happy about? But we can't be happy about the fact that they stopped dying. Because they stopped dying after they were all dead. And that is not a cause for a joyous occasion. That's what the, that's what the, uh, that's what he said. All right, I, I'll leave out the, 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 uh, the Bira Gra, which you should look at on your own. Uh, you know that the name Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, is associated with Kabbalah, and especially with the Zohar. Right, the Zohar is a book which is very similar to a Medrash, written mostly in Aramaic. And containing a lot of interesting things in it. I'm not uh, suggesting that everybody should leave whatever they're doing and go and learn the Zohar. But the Zohar is an interesting book and is attributed to Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. And you have to remember that Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai was the greatest of the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva the second time around. Okay? It was the first time around he had all these Talmidim who died between Pesach and Lag Ba'omer at least, or Pesach and Shavuot, that's also a machloket, but Shlag Ba'omer, everybody agrees, was a special day. Everybody agrees it was a special day. The Prichodesh had told us that we don't really understand why Lag Ba'omer is such a special day, or at least he doesn't understand why Lag Ba'omer is a special day. So I remind you, Rabbi Shimon was a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva, 
Rabbi Shimon was the one who brought the Kabbalah into the light of day. The Ramban says in the introduction to his commentary on the Torah that the that Matan Torah, that Matan Torah which takes place on Shavuos, right? That we sort of remember Matan Torah on Shavuos, even though the dates are argumentative. In the Gemara, there's a there's already disagreement about what the date of of, uh, of Matan Torah was, not the date of Shavuot. The date of Shavuot is the fiftieth day after you start counting sphere sphere. But what the day of Matan Torah is is a point of dispute in the Gemara in Shabbat. <coughs> so Rabbi Shiva Ben Yochai, so the Ramban says that Matan Torah, that Matan Torah composed the Matan Torah of Torah Shebechtab, what we call the Torah that's written down, the Torah that we read from on Shabbat, and we go through the Torah Shebechtab in a year, and the Torah Shebaalpeh. Because Moshe Rabbeinu learned the Torah Shebaalpeh. That was like the basic commentary. I mean, everybody understands that you can't learn a text without a tradition of interpretation. And Moshe Rabbeinu learned the primary tradition of interpretation, and that's called Torah Peh. The Ramban then points out further that the interpretation, the Torah Peh interpretation that Moshe Rabbeinu learned was the Torah Peh of Nigle and the Torah Peh of Nista. The Torah Peh of Nigla, Masha Galui, what's known and clear to everybody, is what we call Mishnah, Gemara, and, and all the conversation that takes place around the Mishnah and the Gemara. But the Torah Peh of Nistar was really hidden, according to the Ramban, and was the property of the, or the enterprise of very few people until Rav Shimon ben Yochai came along and clarified it, let it out into the open. He, he, uh, he taught people that there was the light of the Torah Peh of Nistar. And now everybody could see it. Not everybody learned it, but everybody could see it. Everybody could be affected, affected by it. In order to understand this maybe a little bit better, I, I uh, want to read with you, or learn with you, the words of the Bnei Yisoschah. The Bnei Yisoschah, you know that even though every Balkari knows that the name is read Yisoschah, even though, where's Agabai? Is there Agabai? There's, there's a Minuk. Hungary? I don't know. Minuk. That the first time that the name Yisoschah appears in the Chumash, the Balkore should read it Yisoschar. Right, Yisoschar. Now the, his name, the name of the person who wrote the book, who wrote the book which is called B'nai Yisoschar. Right, we call it, or the Hasidim call it Yisoschar. They don't call it Yisoschar. Even though his name was Tzvi Elimelech of Dinuf. His name was Tzvi Elimelech. So how can we call this book B'nai Yisachar. It's a little like, just to confuse us. We shouldn't be able to remember who really wrote it. He was a Talmud of the Chosem Lublin. Chosem Lublin. The Chosem Lublin was called the Chose. Chose means he, he had, you know, he had good eyesight. He was able to see things that other people couldn't see. So when Sveli Melech went to his Rebbe, the Chosem Lublin, so one day the Chosaludin said to him, you know, you are from the tribe of Yisoschah. And he meant that he was born in the tribe of Yisoschah. So the Hasidim, maybe the Rebbe himself, thought that he's Yisoschah because he was born to Yisoschah, to the, to the one who was, who was born and called Yisoschah. So the book is called B'nai Yisoschah. It's a wonderful book that, uh, you know, depending on your inclinations, you can look at it or not. But it's a wonderful book, whether you look at it or not. So what did he say? Let's look a little bit uh, at the first section. He says, 
ואתה, אתה ברוך השם, קורא נעים תשכיל ותבין אשר ביום זה, this is, this is all about לאג בעומר, right? So there's no antecedent, but it's in a section of the book which is about לאג בעומר, so we know that that's what he's talking about. אשר ביום זה, התחלת התגלות הטוב של התורה שגנז בה האור כי טוב. אור כי טוב is more than just אור. It's like the best distillation of אור that's possible. In order to have the best distillation of אור, it's not enough to have the Torah, which is Torah שבכסב ותורה שבעל פה, but you also have to have the Torah שבעל פה of נסתר, right? Remember the Ramban. So this is the the Bnei Yisoschor at a much later date. Who haosha Adam mabit bo misof haolam vaad sofo. It's the light which enables us to look from one end of the world to the other, which means to understand God's creation. Right? It's the light which because that's what we're all interested in doing. We should understand something about what God did. So he says, "Bazeh uh, haor." This light enables you to see the mysteries, it's the same word, of the Creator. Remember Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai? He's one of the students of Rabbi Akiva, second time around, who led a very interesting life. He was the holy candle. He was the holy candle. בדגליה סודות התורה, והוא סוד האור, כי הטוב הגנוז בתורה על כן נקרא ספרו הקדוש זוהר. That's why the book is called the Zohar, אור המבהיק, that's what Zohar means. It's light that radiates. It's light that radiates מסוף עולם ועד סופו, אור הטוב הגנוז בתורה. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Let us start from the beginning. Why does the Torah want us to count in Svirata Omer? Why does the Torah want us to count? Every single one of us, every single day of Svirata Omer. So the answer, of course, is in the Haggadah Shal Pesach. In the Haggadah Shal Pesach, what is the happiest moment when you read the Haggadah, I'll tell you, and then you'll agree. What's the happiest? You, learn, you read the Haggadah, right? You're tired, you're unhappy, the women were cooking, the men were making believe that they were doing something. What's the happiest moment in the Haggadah? The, the happiest Haggadah, in the Haggadah, not in the Seder, in the, in the Haggadah, the happiest moment is when you sing Dayenu. Dayenu is refreshing. Everybody knows the tune. Everybody says the words with renewed gusto. They're happy when they get to Dayenu. Now let's take an example of what it says in Dayenu. I'm going to pick a good line. Ilu kervanu lifnei har sinai. You want me to sing it? You don't know that line because it's at the end. Everybody sings Dayenu. They don't care about the lines. But you know there's a chiv to say the, the whole the whole Haggadah. Ilu kervanu lifnei har sinai velo natan lano et ha-Torah Dayenu. What do you think about that? Would you write a line like that? Would you put that into the Haggadah? Moshe Rabbeinu in Mitzrayim. Okay, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't appear in the Haggadah in such a prominent role. But Moshe Rabbeinu said to Mitzrayim, let's get out of here and go and get the Torah. That was the whole, that was the message that Moshe Rabbeinu brought to Mitzrayim Israel. And once we have the Torah, we'll go to Eretz Israel. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. So along comes the author of Dayenu, and we're singing with gusto. We say, Ilu Kervaru, if they are Sinai, Right after Dayenu, not too far, but pretty fair, pretty close to Dayenu, the Haggadah says, how many miracles were there in Mitzrayim? 
Remember that? What happened? Miracles. You know, the Torah is often kind of a little secretive about things. The Torah says keep Shabbos. But doesn't tell us how to keep Shabbos. So it's like an enterprise to figure out what we're supposed to do on Shabbos in order to make the Torah happy. In order to make the Rebbeinah Shalom happy. That's Shabbos. But, 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 but miracles? How many miracles there were in Mitzrayim? Stop a kid in the street. And he'll tell you. And he'll quote the Psukim. He'll tell you how many miracles they were. But the Haggadah says, No. You mean there were ten miracles? You think there were ten miracles in Mitzrayim? You think there was one big miracle on Kriyat Yamsuf? No. Maybe there were fifty. Maybe there were hundred. Maybe there were two hundred and fifty. Maybe there were endless numbers. So we have like, you see, that's how you end the part of the Haggadah, which is called Magid. Like we tell the story. So we had the story with two like 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 tremendous lines. One is That's great. Another great line. And the miracles. The miracles are are uh, uh, how many miracles are there? As many as you want. As many as you want, I mean uh, so you know, you know that the Mishnah says, "Call mishubach," and you have to say, they ask, "What is marbel?" Marbel means a lot. Tell the story. Oh, what do you mean a lot? The story is in the Torah. What, are you going to editorialize the Torah? You're going to say, "Oh, oh, I heard a good story about that." You know, or you could say, you know about the trouble of the, of the of the people in Black Africa. Tell that story. What does it have to do? It's, it's in the Torah. It's all in the Torah. It's, it's, it, it, you can't write a better story. So what does Marbet Lesapher mean? What are you going to be Marbet? So the answer to that question is in Dayenu and in the story of how many Makos there are in Mitzrayim. And apparently, apparently the Svara, like the theory of the Bauha Haggadah, if there is such a person, well, it just happened, Haggadah just happened over years, was that, you know, if the more carefully you look at an event, you see that it's composed of an endless number of smaller events. And everything that is a miracle, everything we think is a miracle, they have in a miraculous way. Well, look at it closely. It's not just that the Jews left Mitzrayim. But look at what their state was, what their spiritual uh, adherence to the Rebbeinu was, what they had the capacity to do. Look at how everything was a stumbling block and they overcame. So Yitziat Mitzrayim, the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, which is told in the Torah, and all the, the salient points are already there. But you can, you can do something. You can look at it more carefully. And you see that. This is what do you mean? Like what happened to us in Yitzhak Mitzrayim? You know, Yitzhak Mitzrayim was, we were in Mitzrayim. And we had to get to Har Sinai. So uh, that seems easy enough. No. We had to get there with God, so to speak. And when you take a step with God, as the Torah says by Avram Avinu, it's a different kind of step. And you could talk about it. Because the Torah does not tell us about every step that B'nai Yisrael took. And when you look at a miracle, what do you the miracle, Kriyat Yamsuf, what do you think? That's all you see. There was a reaction, there were people, there was understanding, there were things that were happening. And so they call means that in the stories there are countless stories. They just go on and on and on. If you look carefully at the story, you see another story. And that's what Talmud Torah is about the Sipur, about the Sipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And so it seems to me, it seems to me when the Torah says, count 49 days. From Pesach 
to Shavuot. And that every day counts. It's not true by Yovel. Yovel, it doesn't matter if I know what year it is this year. When I get to Yovel, I'll know. Someone will tell me. It doesn't matter how people count all sorts of things when they're just interested in the Matara and the end of the counting. But Sirata Omer is about counting the days from Pesach to Matan Torah. And the anticipation that is implied in those days is a daily event. It happened to us every day. So that the, the, the theme of Svirata Omer is just like the theme eighty in the Haggadah is that when you count it's not just that you're trying to remember when the 50th day is but you're trying to say to yourself this day is the most important day of all nothing's happened yet all we're doing is walking with the Rebbein on the way to Har Sinai. This, this was upset. This was, uh, uh, something happened to Talmud Torah. Something happened which made it possible to imagine that this could all disappear. And that's explained in the Gemara by the word Shalom Nahagu Kavod Zelazet that the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva did not give honor to each other. They didn't give honor to each other. Did you ever go to a yeshiva? Women should also go to yeshiva. You ever go to yeshiva? What goes out of yeshiva? You sit around the table, two people sit at the other side of the table. One person says, this is a pshat. The other person says, were you crazy? That's pshat? That's a pshat for an imbecile. This is pshat. In, in other words, the milchanta shel Torah that takes place in a chavrusa learning kind of situation. Where is that chavrusa learning? You learn by yourself, it doesn't matter. So you fight with yourself. You can play chess by yourself. And you can play chess against somebody. It doesn't make any difference. You still want to do as well as you possibly can. So that the basic conversation in yeshiva. I mean, you know, I mean talk about the high-level conversation. Don't talk about guys who just walk through the street and say... Uh, you say, oh, everybody here is happy and pleasant and smiley. I don't mean that. <laughs> you walk into a yeshiva, everybody's screaming at each other. Everybody's screaming at each other. You know, if you go to a yeshiva, they call like a, like a regular yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva is up there giving a shir. You know, it's called a shiur klali. I don't know why. I guess it means because it's mostly attended by people who should not be there. So Rosh Yeshiva is giving a shir. You imagine Rosh Yeshiva is in a shir, he could have a long white beard. He has two guys holding, uh, holding him up. You know, I remember in the mirror. I was in the mirror. Rav Finkel, the Rosh Hashim of the mirror, he has, um, he's very, uh, uh, has a physical, tremendous physical disability. It's very hard to understand what he's saying. He's up there. They put him in a seat. They stick a microphone there. He starts talking. All of a sudden, everybody's yelling at him. Zerachmanes, the guy can barely move. No. Says, what do you mean? They're all screaming at him. How can you say this? Does it say that? So, learning has this potential danger of developing a lack of respect for the other opinion. That, that after all, it may well be the case that the nature of Torah, the nature of Torah is such that it allows for different opinions. And that the different opinions about pshat, so to speak, are reputable and can be accepted within the larger framework. But the Talmud and the Rabbi Akiva, each of them were so devoted to whatever they had to say that they had no room in their minds or their hearts for what someone else might say. I mean, I know that this is a lesson for modernity, but I think I'm talking about Talmud Torah. Yeah, so it's true to, you know, uh, you know the Miflagot. You know, today everybody lives in a Miflagah, uh, like a political party. Who are you? You know, I'm Datila Umi, I'm modern Orthodox. So I'm, you're like, what, what do you mean you are? I mean, why? 
Why do you, why is everybody in a miflaga? But that's that's a a sickness of our times in my but in the yeshiva where they're in the same miflaga, they can still develop this capacity or this lack of of uh, uh, ability to hear what the other person has to say. To hear what the other person has to say. And that was the problem that Rabbi Akiva had with Talmud Torah. So that the Avelus over the death of the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva is very much connected to receiving the Torah. It's not just we have Avelut. You know, there are people who died in Churban Bayacheni. Many people died. Whatever Avelut for those people, we have Avelut, the Beit HaMikdash. The Beit HaMikdash symbolizes a certain kind of independence for religious independence for Am Yisrael. Rabbi Akiva, Talmudim, Rabbi Akiva died of it. Of course, it's a tragic, a tragic thing. But the Avelut is not about that. The Avelut is that in this period of time, when we should be taking step by step, day by day, focusing on what Kabbalat HaTorah is, instead, the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva zealously, for the sake of the Torah, were pushing the opinions of the others away, aside. And according to the B'nai Sascha, when Rabbi Akiva renewed his efforts and had a new coterie of Talmidim, amongst them was Rabbi Shimon, of Shimon Bar Yochai, who supposedly was also born on Lag Omer and died on Lag Omer, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, you know that they, in Eretz Yisrael they go to Meiron, and they everybody says it's the yard site of Rabbi Shimon. I don't know if it's the yard. Well, let's say it's the yard site of Rabbi Shimon. It's the it's the yard site. So what? So why do you have to go to the yard site of every Tana who dies? I mean, uh, I mean, how long do people do a yard site for anybody who dies? One generation? He says no, Rabbi Shimon was the one who emphasized the fact that the Torah had light and that the light can spread and encompass everybody. And that's why Rabbi Shimon had to give the Zohar to the Jewish people according to the according to B'nai Yisoscha. So that the Avelut of the days of Sphira is not Avelut about the fact that they died but it's Avelut because they were not able at that time to contain the Torah within themselves. And Rabbi Shimon came along and he said, look, the Torah is, uh, the Torah is light. And light means that beyond words and beyond analysis and beyond my opinion and your opinion, there is a light which encompasses and is there for everybody. I thought I would end by telling you a story. Sometimes it's good to start with a story, sometimes it's good to end with a story, but since I haven't told the story yet, I can only end with the story. There's a book that was written by Simcha Raz. Simcha Raz <coughs> is a well-known author who wrote a book about, uh, about Rav Kook. And he wrote, he wrote a book about the Baal Shem Tov. He wrote a book about the Baal Shem Tov, which is a collection of stories, about a history, it's a very nice book. It's a very nice book. You should, uh, if you have a chance, you should take a look at it. It's stories about the Baal Shem Tov, which he culled from many, many Sforim that tell these stories. He's not reliable. He doesn't say that he, he knows that they're accurate stories or they're not accurate stories. He just, he just put the stories together in modern Hebrew, put them in a book. The book is called The Baal Shem Tov. So we had this story. So I like the story. So I, uh, this is the story I'm telling about the story. Then I'll tell you the story. Okay, the story about the story is I like the story. I read the story in the book. I liked it. So since I like the story, I wanted to know where it came from. That's how I am. So I look in the book. It doesn't say. It doesn't say where it came from. In the back of the book, he has a list of the 50 books from which I got all my stories. Oh, I'm going to read the 50 books to find out where, where this story comes from. That devoted I was not. 
So I call up Simcha Raj. He lives in Baidwigan. I said, listen, this story on page such and such about the Baal Shem Tov, where'd you get it from? So Simcha Raj says, I haven't got a clue. It's, it's from one of those 50 books that's in the back of the... I said, that's it? You can't help me out? He says, no, I can't help you out. So I said, oh, that's the difference between Torah and light. Like, if you have Torah, you can look something up. If you have light, there's nothing to look up. It's just light. You just take it as it is. So what's the story? The story is this about the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov, the story says, had a minag. No, the minag is unverified. That's what a minag is. He had a minag that every night after they counted Sfirah Sa'omer, the Baal Shem Tov would sing and dance in the Beit HaMedrash that he was in. He would sing in there. Now the Baal Shem Tov had a great student whose name, we call him by the name of his book. He wrote a book called Toldot, Toldot Yaakov Yosef. Uh, which is a collection again of, of, of Torah written on Parshiot HaShavua very, the, and, and Rabbi Yo- Yaakov Yosef of Polno Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Polno was a great Talmud Chochem and after the, uh, the Baal Shem Tov died he was one of the two who vied for leadership of this new community that had been created time the Baal Shem Tov called Chassidut the other one was the Magid Mimezrich now, the difference between them, of course, was that Rabbi Yaakov Yosef was a great scholar. Or to be a great scholar, he sat there with his books all the time. The Magid, the great Magid of Mizrich, was a great administrator. He built Chatzidut in an unbelievable way. So it was fortunate, for the, apparently, for the organization that Yaakov Yosef Poldor did not become the leading disciple of, uh, of the Baal Shem Tov because he would have told everybody to learn. But, uh, but uh, the Magid, Mimezrich, who was also a Talmud but had great administrative abilities, sent people out all over the world in order to conquer that piece of the world for, for Hasidut. So here's the story. Every night after Sriyat Omer. The Baal Shem Tov would sing and dance and clap his head and they'd go around. And so Rabbi Yaakov, the, the Tolbos, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't take it. He was sitting there at the base of Medrashim, the, 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 uh, the Baal Shem Tov dancing around at Sphere of He says, he says, what's going on, Rabbi? Don't you know like the Shulchan Aruch says that this is a time of Avelot? You know people like that? Everybody knows people like that. The Shulchan Aruch says, Oh, don't you know? Don't you know this? Don't you know that? So, so here's Rabbi Yaakov. You can even imagine this conversation. The uh, the, the Toldos are saying to the Baal Shem Tov, "What are you dancing around for? It's a symbol of the Shalom. He's supposed to be unhappy." So the the Baal Shem Tov said to the Toldos, "He said, you know, different people see different things at the same time." He says, "I know." That there are people who during this time of Srata Omer, what they see and what they feel is the unhappiness of things. But I, I have to admit, it's Srata Omer, and I know what the Shulchan Aruch says, but I feel the happiness which derives from the fact that Rav Shimon ben Yochai left us this tremendous legacy of the Zohar, the Kabbalah written down. And, and, and I can't help myself, he said. And he says, Hasidim, I guess he's talking about himself and, his, and the people who are with him. He says, Hasidim are the ones who can't help having Simcha at the oddest of times. And so I, he said, I, the Baal Shem Tov, See this time as a glorious time, a simcha time, and after Sriyata Omer, I always sing and dance. That's the story. Have a wonderful time. Will Davimar, Davimar, it's almost time.
Somebody said to me, it can't be because Marcus is in California. Visa problems. Really? Yeah. I can't believe it. Homeland security. Ah, don't be silly. That's yeah, serious. They're not dangerous. Are you? <laughs> Are you dangerous?